Got a lot to be praying over. A lot of stuff happening all over the world currently. A lot of players, a lot of, a lot of things coming together. A lot of tension, a lot of stress, a lot of people on edge uh, all over the place. And uh, seeing it more and more. A lot of things are being clearly manifested uh, from college campuses all over, which is just another just an evidence of just the lack of uh, understanding yeah. and just don't know. And what they've learned has in being fed to them, of course, is so many, so many lies and you see it again and again and again. So much hate. Yeah, so much, so much. Now, a lot, a lot of that you're going to see, look at it through the filter of the word, because the Bible does tell us that when the times of the end to come, that is going to be one of the key factors of this this overwhelming hatred toward Israel. It's just inevitable. That's that's going to come. That's going to be part of it. And part of that is is God Himself uh, doing what He plans to do. And that don't always compute in our minds. And how well you, you're telling me that that God is the one who um, orchestrates and curates these events for these things to happen for a world to get that anti-Jew, uh, but it is. God said he was going to do it, and he would said he was going to make it happen himself. He even says that he will put it into their mind to create an evil plan to come against his people. And uh, that's why it's very important to see things through the filter of the scriptures. And at the same time, we have to remember that there's still a veil on the eyes of the Jew as a whole. Not every one of them, but by majority, yes, that's still there. So even when they read, for example, look in Second uh, Corinthians 3. Uh, this is still applicable. This still applies Today, it applied in Paul's day, in Jesus's day, and it applies in our day currently because we are we are in what is known as the age of the Gentile. We're still in this age. It hadn't shifted yet, but there's coming a time that it will shift. But 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 3, 2 Corinthians 3, and salvation for them and salvation for the Gentile is is the same. It's Jesus, and God's got to do something supernatural. And if He doesn't do it, it ain't gonna happen. So, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter number three, uh, Paul refers to how we, as the body of Christ, the church, we become letters. We become letters. And he says in verse number one, do we begin to commend that would be reintroduce ourselves or do we need as some other epistle of introduction? Does somebody else have to introduce us to you or letters of commendation from you? Verse two, you are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men 
clearly you are a letter. That's what an epistle is. An epistle is simply a letter, just a word used. A letter, a message of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Remember, God takes out the stony heart. The stony heart doesn't connect or relate to God, so God's got to put a heart of flesh in. That's how we, you know, we use the rock to illustrate how the rock's dead, it can't feel. But if I was to do the same thing to somebody's flesh that we did to the rock, it would be a different story because our flesh is sensitive. Same here. Paul is saying the, the church at Corinth is a message that the Spirit of God has written upon their heart this message. They become a living message. We become a living message. We are a message of God's redeeming grace. Verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient. Remember, he say, I put my trust in, in Christ, not us. We're not sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Verse 6, who also made us sufficient as servants, ministers, of the new covenant, not of the letter, that is the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives what? Life. life. Now the spirit gives life to the word. But without the spirit, the word has no life Amen. in a person's life. Are you with me? That's, that's the veil. That's where it's dead to them and it doesn't affect them on within. It just becomes a tool of hatred. It becomes a tool uh, to be used the wrong kind of way. Remember, Paul said to Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, they teach about the law. They don't even know what they're talking about or what they affirm, and they misuse it. And they create problems rather than setting people free. And the law was given for the lawless, the insubordinate, the disobedient, the sinners, but the righteous doesn't need that law because the righteous live by faith and when you live by faith you walk by the spirit and when you walk by the spirit you produce the fruit of the spirit and there's no law against the fruit of the spirit there's no law against love yeah. are you with me but we're not talking about a general kind of love we're talking about a specific kind of love that, that comes from above he says in verse number seven but if the ministry of death the ministry of death what's the ministry of death the law. It's the ministry of death. Written and engraved on stones was glorious. Now the ministry of death was glorious. Amen. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was fading away or passing away. Remember when he left the presence of God, what, what was the deal with his glory? It was fading, so he put a veil on so the people couldn't see it disappearing. It was fading away. As long as he was in the presence of God, he shined. But the further he got away and went toward the people, that shining was fading away, disappearing. So he put a veil on. But it was still glorious because who gave it and the reason he gave it 
And that's why Paul said to Timothy in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy that the law is good if you use it rightfully. If you don't use it lawfully, it's going to be a bad thing. But it's still a glorious thing. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be even what? More. What does verse 8 say? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more? Glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation, judgment, death had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Amen. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because the glory that it excels, meaning the ministry of the Spirit, which is righteousness, which is by faith, so excels the ministry of condemnation and death and judgment, which is the law, as he says here, that they're incomparable. One produces death, one produces life. That's opposite of one another. Amen. But both were glorious in their purpose, right? Amen. Verse 11, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is even what? Much more glorious. Therefore, because of this, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Why? Because the minister we have is much more glorious. We don't have to put a veil over our face and silence ourselves. Matter of fact, we can be even more bold and more glorious because what we have ain't going away. What we have ain't disappearing. Matter of fact, what we have is what can transform lives. Now, you got to keep in mind, the law has its part. What is it supposed to do? It's to produce death so that it drives men to who? Jesus. Jesus is the end of the law. That's what the whole point of it is. Verse number 13, unlike Moses, meaning us, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was fading or passing away. Verse 14. But, on the other hand, their minds were what? Blinded. For until this day, the day he's referring to, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Older Testament because the veil is taken away in who? So without Christ, what is covering the mind of, the, of the, anybody? The Jew or Gentile, what, what are they still covered up in? Blindness. And a blind person can't see. That's the idea. And why can they not see? Because there's no light. That's what makes somebody blind. The eye cannot transfer light, and therefore they can't see. And as a result of the Jew, he has no light from God because he's blind, and the light of God doesn't affect him like the rock. Remember how I put the cubine on the rock? And how the cubine don't close or shy away, don't move or nothing, but if I shine that cubine in Brother Shannon's eyes, what is he going to do? He's going to close his eyes up because his eyes are sensitive to the light. But the Jew, on the other hand, or the Gentile, 
whoever it is, because remember, God's written his law upon the heart of the Gentile. And he says that they practice the law among themselves. So therefore, they condemn themselves and what they practice, showing that the law was written upon their heart and their conscience. But there's a veil there. They don't even recognize where, who and how or what this come from. So let's read that again, verse 14. But their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted. And who lifts the veil? God, God has to lift the veil. No man can take the veil off. God has to lift the veil. It remains until the reading of the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this very day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their what? So he's already talked about the blindness of their mind and the blindness of or the darkness of their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Okay, but you don't turn to the Lord without light. What, is, what did Jesus say when he was teaching them? Light has entered to the world. But men, what, love their darkness so they won't come to the light. But those that do come to light come because of the work of God in their heart to show that their works are of God and not of man. That's in John 3 and in John 3.21. He talks about those that do come to the light. And those that come to the light, they have authority given to them to become sons of God, children of God. But only the veil is taken away in Christ Jesus. So men, men don't have the ability to respond positively to Jesus as long as there's a veil there. When God removes the veil and they see Jesus, what do they do? They come to him. And he's going to explain that in a moment. But in verse number 17, now the Lord is who? And where the spirit of the Lord is, what is there? Liberty. Liberty. But we all, but we all, the brethren, the church, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the spirit of the Lord. Now that right there is a great revelation. Amen. That's a tremendous word. We're going from glory to glory. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to hide away from. Nothing to cover up from. Because we are being transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go from one degree of glory to another de degree of glory through every trial and every trouble and every teaching and every time Jesus is refining and growing us, we are going from glory to glory to look more like him. And God has predetermined, predestined that we be and look like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and this is the work of who? The spirit of God at work in us. The law can't produce this. The law just brings death, but the spirit gives what? Life. Life takes the very things of God and produces life out of us with the same thing that is dead to another man. That's veiled that they can't see. The spirit gives life not only to us, but he gives life to this great revelation we have 
that we see Jesus everywhere in it. We see him. And therefore, what is that doing? That's transforming us. How does he transform us? By what? The renewing of our mind as we what? Present ourselves to him as living sacrifices so that we can what? Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. That's that glory to glory that is happening in our life. That's a, man, what a beauty, amen? So it's not that we're regressing. No, we don't have anything to regress from. Matter of fact, we're going from glory to glory. Uh, we haven't arrived, as I mentioned Sunday. We have everything, but we're not everything. Therefore, we're still growing. And we're growing, though, to look like somebody. And that is called glory to glory. See, but the Jew without Jesus, he's blind. There's still a veil there. There's still a covering over him. Can't see it. That's why we pray for them to be saved. That's why Paul said, I wish it was possible that I could be accursed, which was not possible, but I wish that it could be so that my brethren, the Jew, my native people could see what I see is what he was saying. Because God put blinders on them to what? Turn to the Gentile. And that's what Paul was. He was an apostle unto who? To us, to the Gentile. That's right. So he was sent to. Peter was the apostle to the Jew and Paul was the apostle to us Gentiles to teach us what we have in Christ. Look at verse number one of chapter three. Therefore, because of this, since we have this ministry of the spirit, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Even though the Jew don't see it, we don't lose heart because God's got to do this work. God showed us mercy and he's going to show others mercy. And when he shows them mercy, what does he do? He reveals himself to them. And when he reveals himself to them, they see the veil's taken away. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father, you see God. And verse 2 but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftedness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's basically saying we're not trying to hide anything. We're not trying to keep anything back. We're telling you everything we know. And one thing that we know is the reason they're not responding to the truth the way that we would all want them to is because they're, they're blind to it. They're in the dark on it. And we want to be honest about this. And this has been a God thing. And God did this in his wisdom so that he could reach a world for Christ. And then one day he's still got a plan. He's got a plan. But verse 3. But even if our gospel. You see not only is the reading of the Older Testament veiled. Not only is their mind and their heart darkened with a veil over it, but he said also the preaching of Christ is veiled. Why? Because if the Older Testament is veiled, the Older Testament all points to who? It all points to Jesus. And the gospel is who? Jesus. 
So he says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Lost. Lost. Some translations use the word perishing. Because if you're lost, without hope, without an answer, with no possibility to be found, what are you? You're perishing. So, but if our gospel, verse 3, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, lost, whose minds the God of this age has what? So not only do you have a veil that you can understand, now everything that you see and everything you do in this world is just adding to the darkness. The God of this age has blinded who do not believe. That's why they perish. Least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should do what? So not only is there a veil, Pam, but then the enemy and the world use everything possible to keep them in the dark. You follow with me? It's a fight to keep them in the dark. Now, only God can pierce through that darkness. He's the only one. And now he's going to bring up an Old Testament image of when God created the world and he said these words, verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, that is Paul, Peter, Apollos, whoever it is, but who do we preach? Christ Jesus, the eternal God who came and took upon flesh. Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves we preach as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for it is the God taking us back to the beginning, the God who is the word who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God must say, let there be what? Light. That's the only way to see God in Jesus. You see, the reason why the, they killed him is because they didn't see God in him. They thought he was a blasphemer, that he was a renegade rebel. He was the only one who wasn't a rebel. He's the only one who, who trusted the Father, who did what the Father gave him to do. He wasn't a rebel. He was the only righteous one. And they couldn't see that. They couldn't see. They couldn't see that Jesus was God, that he had come to free them. Why? Because as you read in John recently, you ladies, you know what I'm talking about. When the Jews said that they've never been in bondage, remember what they said? And Jesus said that they were sinners. And they said, no, that we're not sinners. And he says, you are sinners. The son came to make you free and the truth you shall know shall make you what? Free. They said, well, we've never been in bondage. What are you talking about? we don't need to be free from anything. And then those that had somewhat of a hope in him thought he was going to be a rescuer and be a, a renegade rebel king against the Roman Empire and establishment to be to free them from that oppression. But that's not what he came for. Why? Because they saw him as something that he wasn't. 
And therefore, they missed it. That's the Judas that missed it, wanted him to be what he wanted him to be, but not who he really was. Why? Because Judas didn't have light. He couldn't see it. The Pharisees didn't have light. They couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. But it's God who does what? Said, let there be light. And when he shines light, it pierces through the darkness, removes the veil, and you can't help but see God in Christ. You see him. And when you see him, you bow the knee to him and confess him to be Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Amen. Uh, look, Timothy, Paul, does that make sense to y'all when y'all read through that? You see, this is where the Jews at right now. That's why you don't see any of them giving any glory or credit to the Lord Jesus Christ because they don't know Jesus. They don't trust Jesus. But no different than how they allowed the money changers to do what they did and profited all of it. They let thousands and thousands and millions of people come over there every year and tour those places as believers to come see the places Jesus walked. They don't mind your money, but they ain't going to believe him. You follow with me? What they're doing, as Romans would say, go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Remember, Romans is unveiling God's eternal plan for us in Christ. And he says this in uh, verse number one in regards, uh, excuse me, chapter two, verse number one, Romans 2, 1. Yeah. Therefore, you are inexcusable. O man, whoever you are who make judgment for whatever you make judgment on with another, you automatically do what? You condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. That groups everybody into one big lump because everybody has an ability. When you get to a place in life where you have the ability to recognize what people are doing, and then you judge that person for doing it. When you have that capacity to say that's wrong, that's wrong. Now, not only did you recognize they're wrong, but now you're accountable for all your wrong. Are you with me? That's the, the, the idea here. He's talking to a group of people who did have the law. But remember, they had a veil over the reading of the law. And they used it for what? Judgment. To condemn and then look at themselves as being self-righteous. That's the only thing that the law will produce out of you is you having a self-righteousness in the sense that you're better than everybody else because you're able to do this and they wasn't able to do it. So the, 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 the glory falls on who? The individual. But if you can judge somebody for doing what they're doing and recognize it's not right, for an example, as he makes the big list in chapter 1 of all the things which he included, homosexuality, if you can stand and pick the stone up and condemn the homosexual, 
I guarantee you he's saying you've committed one of these things somewhere in there and you're just as guilty as he is. And because you can make that judgment, now you're accountable. Because God holds all men accountable. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? His glory. Everybody has tried to change the glory of the incorruptible God to fit in an image that would fit best for their life. Everybody's done it. Nobody's without excuse. The only person that didn't do it was Jesus himself. But everybody else has at some phase or another. And then he says in verse 2, But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. Well, we were all practicing sinners. Rebellion, doing our own thing. Verse 3, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and you doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? What's the answer? No, God's going to hold every man accountable. This is why he gave Jesus to us, though. Verse 4, or do you take lightly, do you think lightly of the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? And you can't get no gooder than Jesus, amen? I mean, that's the goodness. I know that didn't make a lot of uh, English sense, but you know what I'm saying. He's the goodness of God. What did Paul say in our reading yesterday in 1 Timothy 3? What's the mystery of godliness? Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Jesus was justified in the spirit. Jesus was seen by angels. Jesus was preached under the Gentiles. Jesus was received up in glory. You want to know what goodness is? You want to know what godliness is? It's Jesus. It's, it's rooted in Jesus. It's him. Well, they despised it. They didn't want anything to do with it. So verse 5 says, but in accordance with the hardness or the stubbornness and your impenitent selfish heart, you are what? Treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That is what's happening right now, not merely simply with the Jew, but with everybody. Yeah, amen. That is, their sins hadn't been forgiven. They hadn't been made right through Jesus. And that's what Paul's going to bring this whole message out, that Jesus is the one who writes every wrong. Jesus is the one who justifies every sinner. Jesus is the one who makes righteous every crooked person that believes in him. He's the only way to be just before a holy God. Because outside of Jesus, you are only storing up what? Wrath for the day of wrath and of the day of the righteous judgment of God. Why? Because the standard by which God's going to judge men by is the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. So if you've rejected him all your life and you've rejected him as a nation for 2,000 years as a whole, that is what you storing up and laying up for wrath in the day of judgment when God judges you by the one that you can't see is God. Are you with me? This is where they are. That's why Romans 11, look at Romans 11 and we're going to go. 
Romans 11. Romans 11. Chapter 11. Look in verse number 25. Of course, 11 is all about the fact that we can't boast that we see Jesus and we trusted Jesus and point the finger at the Jew why they didn't because God has done this intentionally and purposely and he grafted us in and all we can do is thank him and bless him and praise him and then ask him to use this to be a difference in other people's lives. And he says in verse 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be in the dark, ignorant of this mystery, because if you are, you're going to be wise in your own opinion that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And we're not there yet. How soon will this end? We just don't know. It could be at any time. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. At that time. Meaning when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Then in that day all Israel will be saved. For the deliverer will come out of Zion. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Praise God. Amen. He's the only one that can do it. And he's going to do it. And he's going to do it in one sweep soon. We just don't know how soon. And that's why Paul then says this in verse 28. Concerning our gospel, which is veiled to them right now. What are they? They're enemies. They're enemies. We got to recognize that. They're enemies of the gospel. But they're enemies of the gospel for our sake. But concerning the election, they are the beloved for the sake of the fathers. That is saying God's got a future plan for them. Now we've gone through, remember Paul wrote this, what, in about A.D. 60? So you take A.D. 60 to 2023, we are, we are not too far out from 2,000 years of how many generations has this been? That this blindness has been on this nation of people that have been an enemy to the gospel but are elect according to the covenant of God with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of what he's going to do with them in a future day. And when the last poor Gentile comes in, we don't know who it is, that's a God thing. They're already known by God. Their names are already written. They're already written. Scripture says they've been written in the Lamb's Book of Life since the foundation of the world. When the last one, wouldn't that be something? Who's the last one? I don't know. But they ain't going to be saved no different than you were saved. God's going to take the veil off. God's going to pierce through the darkness and they're going to see Jesus. And when they do, the shift's going to take place. At that time, according to other places like Ezekiel 38 and 39, 
God's going to have all his people back in Israel. He tells them he's not going to leave one of them. He's not going to leave one of them in the nations. So that would tell me what you're seeing potentially right now. You know how the, the, the anti-Jewish spirit is happening more and more? All we could potentially anticipate, that's just going to continue to escalate. And what's going to escalate to the point where how long it will take, how long, we don't know. But eventually, these nations are going to get to the place where they're just going to ship the Jew back. Or they're going to go back. It ha it's just going to have to get that bad. And they're all going to go back. And it's going to be around this time frame when these things happen. And there's still millions of Jews all over the world. All over the world. But according to what I read, Ezekiel 38 and 39 said he's not going to leave one left. Not one. And when that happens, he says right here, he's going to save them all when they, he's going to show himself to them. Zechariah says they're going to see him for whom they pierced. They're going to see him supernaturally they're going to see him. At what phase? At one point, it's going to obviously be, this is where it's going to be. It's going to be, it's going to be somewhere in the time frame that the Antichrist breaks covenant with them. Because they're going to trust the Antichrist. They're going to trust him. And he's going to mislead them. And they're going to follow his lead. I think that's part of the falling away from that perspective. The whole world is going to get caught up in it. Yeah. Except the blood-brought believer. But somewhere in there, whenever that takes place, when he breaks covenant, God's going to turn the light on. Yeah. And they're going to see Jesus. What a glorious thing. Amen. Because we're talking about something only God can do. That's going to be for the whole nation. See, but salvation is something only God can do right now. Amen. And whoever he saves, amen. But it's going to be a glorious, marvelous thing when that nation sees him and sees who he is and what he's done and how they, how they missed it for generations upon generations. And they're going to become fans of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you won't have to wonder who they serving. You won't have to wonder where they stand. You won't have to wonder. Scripture says in that day, they're going to rise up like David and they're going to be mighty warriors. Even the feeble folk, he said, will be like David and the warriors are going to be like God. Amen. Tell me, that's what he says. He teaches that. And uh, so we can't help but praise him. Can't help but praise him. And uh, so we, we just keep preaching him, right? Amen. We preach. We don't preach ourselves, but who do we preach? Jesus. And it's preaching Jesus that God penetrates the veil and the darkness and transforms a life. So great is the mystery of godliness and great is the mystery of lawlessness. Two sources that people live by. The believer and the rest of the world. That's, but it's a mystery because they don't know who's behind it. Can't see it. Only the believer gets to see what's behind, what's behind both sides. Who's orchestrating and who's doing what. Amen.
So we just want to recognize that as we pray for them. Isaiah 62 would tell us to pray, uh, pray until God makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And that can never be until he reigns there and he's king over that place. Amen. So that's why we pray for him. That's why we pray. Got to save him and got to do his work because we believe he's got a plan. But he's also got a plan for everybody because everybody's going to resurrect. Some to everlasting life. Some will be cast in the lake of fire. But he's got a plan for every soul. We just want to make people aware of his plan and who he sent to make sure we can have life and have it today. Amen? Amen. Today. Today. Father, we bless you. We thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for allowing and bringing us into your presence and to your fold and what great responsibility we have to teach and to teach it clearly and to teach it accurately and that we recognize your hand at work even upon the world scene and stage today. Uh, we're looking for you. We're, we're looking for you at work. And we're thankful for your revelation that you tell us uh, what you're doing before you even do a thing. So that we can see you and we can praise you. So thank you for your saving work in Christ. Now send us out to help others. In Jesus name. Amen. Love y'all, love y'all.